Welcome to Empowered by Women for Women. This podcast brings you inspirational women and their stories, their successes and their experiences along the way. Join us to be challenged and inspired, brought to you by Vintage and hosted by myself, Trudy Kerr. Today I'm joined by Sue Mifsud, a ceramic artist, designer and teacher based in Malta. Sue started her journey in 1993 after she'd studied ceramic design at Glasgow School of Art. And she's quickly established herself with her distinctive and unique style. Add to that that Sue is regularly commissioned by some of the best restaurants and establishments in the world and that she has a rather wicked and cheeky sense of humour and we have a recipe for a great show. Welcome Sue! Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much, that's quite a build up. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) No, you have to always start the show with a nice big build up. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Before we go any further, yeah. I want to just ex- to find an answer to this question okay. because you are not Maltese. You're no. not very convincing at pretending to be Maltese. No. You've got a Midlands <laughs> accent and blonde hair. So yeah. how did you make it to Malta? What's your story? Okay, so I first came to Malta when I was 15 and I came over with my parents Really nice experience. Spent three weeks here with the family. Just on holiday. Yeah, kind of seeing the sights and doing the tourist thing. And I think it started my love for Malta. And then when I was 19, I came back for a holiday with my best friend. And I met my then husband. I knew there'd be a man in it. There's always a man. (laughs) He wasn't actually my husband then. I I met this guy. And uh, we stayed in touch for two years, coming backwards and forwards between England and Malta. And um, yes, then eventually decided that I come out and and live in Malta. So we settled down here. So you've been in Malta how long? I've been in Malta since 1989. How's your Maltese? It's probably worse than yours. (laughs) That's quite saying something. (laughs) I should know more, but my Maltese is very bad. You learn the swear words, that's how everyone starts you off, but yeah, it's not that good. But this is home for you. This is home. I feel very, very settled in Malta. Yeah, I love uh, my extended family. My in-laws have got a very beautiful family here. Um, love my friends, obviously love my job. And it's a very strange situation. I don't know whether you find it as well. When you go back to the UK, you don't quite fit in there either. You're kind of between the two places. I can tell you, you f- the first thing that I do when I land in the UK yeah. is I speak to everybody in Maltese. Okay. Which wow. is great because there's no one to correct okay. me. But it's a it's a, like <laughs> a knee-jerk reaction. I land in the uh-huh. airport and I'm like, hey, bonjour, And you put mala into everything, yes? I do the, the you know, the... Like this. The oh, take, really? Yeah, oh I do that. Because my mother asked me a question and I'll do that whole response. Wow, I yeah. don't even do that. Frustrates the heck out of her. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, Mum. <laughs> because it frustrates. Well, you mentioned there that you love your job as well. So yeah, let's talk about that. Because your uh, website says... What did I put? For homes, for cafes, for restaurants, for Michelin star chefs. So what do you do? What do you create? What is being a ceramicist? And who are Michelin star chefs? Who are they? Okay, so that is a massive question. So how do I break that down? 
Well, let's um, start with what is okay. being a ceramicist. What is being a ceramicist? So ceramicist, uh, ceramics means anything that's made of clay. So, you know, it can be sculptures, it can be pottery, anything that's made of clay. I'm a ceramics designer because my qualification is in ceramic design from Glasgow School of Art, but I also call myself a potter as well because I make pots. I, I make for off the, I make off the shelf work, so things that are ready made that go onto the shelf that can be sold to people passing through the studio. Um, I do commission work that, where people contact me and they want something to go into their homes, so I'll make something designed to their taste. And I work for restaurants, so I'm looking at the interior of the restaurants, the personality of the chefs, and uh, their menu, and creating something for them. Something as in plates and oh, quite. bowls oh, yes. and okay. not necessarily statues or anything No, like that. no, no. It's, yes, it's functional wear. It's wheel-thrown functional wear. That's what I, that's what I mainly produce. I love produce. the terms that you're throwing out. Wheel-form uh, yeah. wheel functional wear. Wheel-thrown. Wheel-thrown functional, functional wear. wear. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So we're going to disseminate exactly what you've just said. I've got yeah. so many questions, it's crazy. But... I guess when I think about it, let's start with the plates. So let's start with the, okay. the, the restaurants. Let's start with the Michelin star chefs because you avoided the question there. I did. And I'm coming back to that. But I guess when you think about it, the plate that I eat a meal from uh-huh. does make a big difference. Yes, it does. About uh-huh. how I feel about the meal. I it hadn't does. really thought about it before I started researching you. Okay. But a great meal can look very average if you serve it on Pyrex or a cheap plate. Yeah. So is that the philosophy that you're talking about? And is there a science to making a great meal even better <laughs> through what it sits on? I suppose the science behind it is putting all the elements in there that capture the personality of the chef and the restaurant and everything about the place where it's being served from. Those are the elements you want to um, infuse in a plate. So that when a person's sitting down and eating from it, they're getting the full experience of the, the restaurant that they're visiting. Um, the science, it's so vast, ceramics. It, I mean, these questions are actually really huge that you're asking because, you know, it can be broken down into the type of clay that I use, the firing process, um, the We're sizes. We're coming to that in a second. <laughs> Don't you worry. We're coming to the clay in a minute. Uh-huh. But if I sit down to eat a meal and I, I sit down with the plate in front of me, if you've done a good job for a restaurant, what is that plate going to look like? Okay, so the plate is a canvas for the food that's being presented on it. So it shouldn't outshine the food. It should be a backdrop to it. So I'm not going to be using really bright colours that overpower the food. The food still needs to be the first thing that you see on there. But it needs to subtly interact with you and it can be the size of it the shape of it even the sound of it when you're using your knife and fork on a plate it will sound totally different when you're um, eating off a handmade stoneware ceramic plate it will sound different than if you're eating off a uh, say a porcelain uh, slip cast plate the structure of the clay is totally different the thickness of it it'll be a totally different experience I had never thought about this before. I can feel myself getting into my zone now. No, here she goes. She's off. She's off. But I've really never thought about it before because 
if you go to a Michelin star restaurant, yeah. there's a good chance you're going to be paying several hundred euros. It should be a holistic experience. Yes, definitely. So it's not just about the food, it's about yeah. the ambience, it's about the way yes. things are presented. Uh, and that's where we're coming to. Uh, of the, course. Yeah, we're coming to how it's presented. But it never occurred to me until I sat down to talk to you that if somebody had served up a Michelin star meal on a Pyrex plate uh-huh. or a red plastic plate yeah. or a your, cardboard plate. Yes, your whole <laughs> experience is going to be of course, it changes. completely different. So you mentioned about colours and overpowering the food. Are um, there colours that you just totally would avoid, even if you're trying so, to reflect the ambience of the restaurant? Uh, so, not avoid. Um, so it always depends on what they're going to be plating on the plates. So my palette of colours, I use strong, vibrant colours in my work generally, and I make all of my own glazes. I don't buy them off the shelf um, because I, I like to have the same what I'm producing, and I like to be that tiny bit different. So I do a lot of experimenting with glaze colours. Um, if I'm producing for restaurants, obviously it's a conversation between me and the, the owners of the restaurant or the chefs or whatever and I've never had anyone go for very strong colours I don't suggest it and I've never had anyone suggest to me that they would like to use that it's always quite muted colours but having said that Bahia restaurant when I'm working for them um, Tyron the chef is very adventurous and you were talking about Michelin star restaurants Bahia is a Michelin star restaurant I've been working for them for four years now and when I initially uh, started discussing, you know, what we would be designed to be creating for them, it was they wanted white plates. And in my mind, I was saying, I'm going to get them out of this. Eventually, we're going to have coloured plates in this restaurant <laughs> because he's a young, enthusiastic chef. He likes to experiment. He likes to push boundaries slightly. After four years, that's where we've been able to go. You know, they've got greens, they've got blues, they've... So is that not a bit of a dangerous game? Because if you're reflecting the personality of the chef, maybe the chef is going to move on. In the case of Bahia, it would be very unlikely. But there may be a Michelin star restaurant that the chef moves on from. So talk Uh me through the process. Uh When you go to visit a new client... What are you trying to capture? Is it the restaurant? Is it the chef? What, is it the menu? Yeah, that's interesting. So um, I mainly work for chef patrons. So they're the chef and they are the owner of the restaurants. The majority of uh, that I work for, that's the, the setup. Um, it's all of those elements. When I'm meeting with them, <laughs> when I'm meeting with them, I'm collecting all of this information. Um, it's very important that I know what the interior design of the restaurant is like. It's no good me producing something which is very contemporary when they have a very restri- rustic restaurant. Um, so it's gathering all of those elements and from all of that, um, bringing together a design that sits perfectly within that space. Is this not quite a large responsibility? <laughs> because you're going to impact... I'm going to be terrified in future doing plates. <laughs> I was fine up till now. <laughs> sorry, Sue. So sorry. But as I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking so, about this, I'm thinking that yeah. you might be, uh, in the case of Poria, you might be uh, paying several hundred euros for that meal and that part of the process is quite important. So the process... 
so these are the stages that I go through. You know, a, a client will, a potential client will contact me. Um, I invite them to the studio for a meeting. We sit down, we discuss. They can see the things that I've got on the shelf. So they can see the clay that I work with, the colours that I work with, the pricing of things. I mean, obviously, that's very important as well. Once we've gone through that, then we'll look at the interior design, the personalities, all of these things that will feed into the, the eventual design. Um, and then I come up with initial prototypes so they can see what I have in mind and um, if they're, they're, they are things that they can work with. Um, sometimes I give them to the restaurant so they can throw them around a bit so they see the durability of the pieces. Literally throw them around a bit. Yes, yes, yes. So one of the pieces that I produced for Bahia when I was initially working for them, it was a side plate and they slammed it repeatedly against a marble surface <laughs> in front Which, of you no <laughs> no i'd have probably weeped no <laughs> no but I, I gave them that option to go do it because um you need to know that they are going to last in that environment um so anyway once i've gone through all of that process and i've produced the prototypes um, then we can do tweaking. We can see where we're going to go from there. If you know sizes need to be altered slightly. In, in the background, I'm keeping a record of all the clay that I use, the glazes that are applied, so that I know all of the, um, the details to its making. And then I tweak them. I pre produce another design, which will hopefully be the final design. And uh, then we go ahead with the production work. I'm absolutely fascinated and I want to talk in a minute about how you turned this passion yeah. that you clearly have okay. into a business. Okay. Before we get there, let's yeah. go talk about this clay for a second. Because okay. your website states, <laughs> stoneware, okay. I do my research, okay. yeah. <laughs> is my main clay of choice, which I import from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. The clay has a fine amount of grog. I love the way you're nodding here. And you wrote these words. And as I've been throwing with it for about 17 years, I'm used to its characteristics and the way in which I can manipulate it. We have quite a good working relationship, you've said. Hold on a second. Okay, I need you to explain to me what stoneware is. Why is that different to anything else? Why does that have to come from Stoke-on-Trent? Because surely <laughs> that is really a bit of a pain in the backside getting it down here. But first up, what uh -huh. is grog? Grog is pre-fired clay, which is ground up and introduced to the clay so that, it, um, so that when you're working with it, it doesn't warp so easily, it holds its shape. Does the, the clay answer. that you're talking about, the stoneware, is it a case of digging a hole in the ground, pulling it out and sending it to you? Yeah, kind of like that. They put is, it in is bags it first. <laughs> you know. Is it so, really that stoneware. easy? They just dig a hole? Um, so you, you've got, so I use an, another type of clay, which is um, a chocolate black earthenware clay, which fires to a lower temperature. And that's a really manufactured clay because they put different elements in it to get the blackness of the clay. That's not kind of natural. So there's three different categories of clays. There's earthenware, stoneware and porcelain. And they're categorised. <laughs> no, I'm loving this. Oh, this is the question I've always I wanted to ask. I myself going off on one. No, no, go off on one, please. Because <laughs> I'm fairly sure that anybody listening to this as well okay, has turned enough. the plate over and it says porcelain or yes. it says stoneware, it says earthenware. Yes. I myself know that I have two sets, one of stoneware and one of okay, earthenware at home, and yeah. I have no clue what the difference is. Okay. Explain. I'm dying to know. So, yeah, three types of 
uh, clays, main clays. So earthenware, stoneware and porcelain. And they're categorised by their firing temperatures. So earthenware is the lower firing and it fires up to around uh, 1000 degrees centigrade. Stoneware is mid-firing, so the stoneware that uh, I use, it glaze fires up to 1,240 degrees centigrade. And then porcelain goes up to around 1,300. That's why porcelain is so hard. And they've all traditionally got their own characteristics. They all come out in the earth. <laughs> yes, they do. They just dig a hole and pull it out. They do. And they only come from certain parts but, but, of the world, I would have thought. purified... And uh, natural things like grit and sand will be taken out of them. Okay, so they are treated before they, they end up yeah, at you. Yeah, they're not just plopped not in just, a bag. Yeah, not no, just no, dug no. out. Yeah. So and where, stuck. okay, let me ask you another question yeah, then. Sure. Where do these, where does clay come from? So the clay that I buy, it comes from Stoke-on-Trent, as you said. Which is in the UK. It is, yeah. And it's not far from where I was brought up. And so the reason I buy from Stoke-on-Trent, first of all, there's um, many pottery suppliers there. So if I'm buying from one, I can buy from another and all of my materials will be collected at one spot and they'll be shipped to me from one of the companies. When I was initially learning pottery with Anna Chavala in Zabuj all those years ago, um, she used clay from the UK. And somehow that got passed on to me. I never considered you. But clay comes from other countries as oh, well. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It comes from... You've got Colorobia in Italy that supplies clay. But I've never actually thought about going to these places. I mean, there's Spain, there's Greece, but all not of these Malta. places. Malta doesn't produce clay. It has clay slopes. A lot of them are protected. And it's all earthenware. So all of that fires up to a low temperature. Can I ask you a very blonde and practical question? <laughs> yes, go on. You get all your clay sent from Stoke-on-Trent. Yes. So somewhere in Stoke-on-Trent, there's a big massive hole in the ground. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I'm assuming there is, yes. What happens when that hole in the ground runs out? Um, no th more plates? Th these... Th <laughs> No, hardly. I'd move on to a different clay. <laughs> no, I meant on a global scale. One no, day we're going to run out no, of plates. No, of course not. It's endless, endless supplies of clay. If you look at just Malta, um, when, when houses are pulled down and there's clay in the ground, you know, it's all over Malta. England is huge. There's huge quantities. You're never going to reach the end of it. I love this. I, I'm absolutely <laughs> going to, and I suggest uh, for everybody who is listening to, to this... to Google when clay is going to end. <laughs> well, that is one thing you could uh, do. But when you sit down for dinner, uh -huh. you, oh, yes. you've just totally opened up a whole new understanding and perspective on what we're eating our food off. And we do this three times a day. Yeah, of course. This is taken so much for granted. Yes, definitely. And if you have if you have a white plate that's mass produced, you're less likely to look at it than if you're looking at something handmade. Handmade has all of those quirky little details in it that, that demand your attention. That's why in a restaurant, you'll, you'll look at handmade. You'll get people turning the plate over to find the maker's mark on the back of it. I think it's <laughs> fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Now, you've had your own business since 2014. Yes. Which is relatively I've, recent. But, but full-time. Yes, full-time because before yes, that you were part-time. Part yeah. But you had 
income support before then you had an income and a steady income but you took this leap of faith in 2014 what did that look like I mean setting up your own business and setting up a business in Malta making plates with clay from thousands of miles away (laughs) yes um it was very strange and I think I went into it with no business plan I just knew that I had to get everything in order, so registering as a company and sorting out an accountant and doing all of those things that I needed to do for the business side of it. And then I, yeah, I had no plan for what I was going to do. And uh, I I trust fate a lot. (laughs) And things headed my way. You know, people heard that I was starting out, I was becoming self-employed. Um, a headmaster phoned me and said, would you come teach at the school? So we got funding for that. Uh, someone contacted me about uh, summer classes, and it was like, yeah, I can do that as well. And all of these things just kind of fell into place. And I gradually started making things. And then you find out that your mugs are making, so you make more mugs. And a restaurant contacted me, and, and it just all kind of very organically fell into place. I think intuition tells you which things to accept and which things not to accept. Things that will pull you forward and that are exciting, but within your knowledge, and things that um, just wouldn't take you in the right direction. My business formed itself. I had no part in it whatsoever. I'm fairly sure that's (laughs) slightly exaggerated because I know for a fact that you are very, very respected for what you do. And... you're very good at what you do and I've seen your work and I've seen people respond to you and respond to your work as well and I've seen people buying your plates and I've seen I've been to restaurants where I've sat there with a friend and gone I know who did this you turn it over you're like yeah I know who did this and you pick up but it's very recognizable it's very distinct Uh you have a very particular style and it's very very successful here in Malta which is amazing are you fairly unique are there many ceramicists in Malta Um, There's other ceramicists in Malta. There's other ceramic suppliers from the... But is there anybody doing what you're doing as a business? You're you're supplying very beautifully. That's amazing. I'm very much in touch with um, people globally. You know, other ceramists. I met a lot of people during my degree course that I'm in touch with. And, you know, I know what's going on out there. But as for... Most of my friends seem to be artists rather than ceramists in Malta. But then again, you know, there's people that work. Uh, there's Francesca Barsan, who does sculptures, who works in clay. There's um, Joa Juice, who does ceramics as well. That you know, all very diverse use of clay. But essentially, you have a niche, and you own that niche. And we, I, that's not a question. That is a statement <laughs> from an outsider's point of view. And you do it beautifully. Because you also bring your personality to your communication. You bring your two cats to your <laughs> communication. Uh-huh. Anybody who knows you, follows you on Facebook, and, and even on your other social medias, and just loves the way that you mix in seasons with your ceramics and your cats with your ceramics and your personality (laughs) with ceramics so we kind of feel like we're engaged with you okay I think it has to be fun what if my work stops being fun I'll stop doing it and I think that everything that it encompasses you know how I present my work and what I do in my day-to-day life it's fun you know it has to be that um 
I think what I, liked about, what I like about having my own business is that I can run it how I want. I've worked for other people and haven't been totally happy all the time. Um, when you work for yourself, you make your own rules. I mean, okay, you have to pay VAT and taxes and you have to do your paperwork and whatever that's taken. But there's certain things that you can do. For instance, if someone contacts me and wants me to make a, com a commission piece for them, I don't take a deposit. We'll sit down, we'll go through the details, I'll make the piece and I don't commit them to buying it until they've seen it. If they don't like it, they don't buy it. And I like that way of working. It gives me total freedom. Whereas maybe other companies would commit them to buying it and putting down a deposit. I like working differently. But that con slightly contradicts what you said about working with chefs and restaurants. Okay. Because, and you stated yep. on your website again, <laughs> if a restaurant <laughs> is using handmade that. plates, uh -huh. you know their food matters to them. Yeah. But you also stated that you have to work with the personality of the restaurant and work with the personality yep. of chef. the chef mm -hmm. because the chef obviously has a vested interest in making sure that their food is communicated well. Yeah. Or do they? Do all chefs believe this? Is it widely accepted that what the food sits on uh, is as important as the ambience of the restaurant? I believe so. I believe if they're coming to me to order plates, then they're not going somewhere where things are being mass-produced. They have that option. If they don't believe in the plates, they can take that option. If you're, if you're buying something that's handmade, I mean, let's get real, it is more expensive than buying mass-produced, so they do want to invest into it. Totally. Two more questions for you, Sue. <laughs> Grilly, two more questions, but these are easy, easy questions, okay? I am so excited to have learned about what you do and how you do it. But on a day-to-day -day basis, what is the kind of project that you would get most excited about? You got very excited about private commissions just there. But is it a large, is it a private commission or is it, is it a small piece for, for somebody or, or is it a whole bunch of plates and, and bowls for a restaurant? So if you'd have asked me, what do I love most about my job? I would have told you that it's, it's not the ordering of the clay from abroad and having to go through all of the hassle of that. It's not cleaning the floors after I've been working. It's not making my, up my glazes, actually mixing them. It's being on the wheel and throwing something, having clay slipping through my hands, feeling the different temperature of the clay, feeling it um, give under the pressure that I apply with it with my hands. That is... I can't explain it. This is ghost. It is. This is Patrick Swayze. This is. Oh my gosh! <laughs> You're getting way too excited about this. This is Patrick Swayze with you. That's what it is. It is a beautiful medium. I'm not at the end of a tool somewhere. I'm totally connected with a medium. So back to your question. It can be one mug that I make for someone, or it can be a complete dinner set for a restaurant. As long as I have my hands on clay, I am in my element. I absolutely love it. I can't explain. I love <laughs> that you love your job so much. I absolutely do. And I think everybody who's listening to this can feel your passion. <laughs> One last question. If you had the opportunity to create a set, tableware set, for any restaurant or chef in the world, you must have asked yourself this. No. Who would it be? No. I don't think like that. 
I seriously don't. If you if you tell me you you'll win the lottery, you know, uh, a million pounds, what will you do with it? I have no idea. I my brain doesn't think like that. Seriously. <laughs> Not Jamie Oliver or No, no, no. No. Honest, my brain doesn't think like that. Marco Pio White. Honest, my brain doesn't think like that. Seriously. Uh, okay, so the only thing that I can tell you is uh, someone that's very experimental. No names, but um, I think sometimes pieces can be kept safe and I'd like to do something very, very experimental. Does that answer the question? No, that an no that answers the question, <laughs> Sue. That's absolutely brilliant. I, I want to say a massive thank you for being here with us uh, on Empowered. You are a woman who has decided to take your, your risk to go and follow your passion, follow your art, and play with grog. Thank you. Ha, ha, ha.